Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. Welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show. I am very excited today to uh, be offering a wonderful program about the history of autism. On the line with me today is my guest um, all the way across the ocean is uh, Adam Feinstein. Adam, are you there today? I am indeed. Very, Very good to be with you. Wonderful. We are so excited to have you here today. And let me just give a little background um, about who you are and uh, what we're going to talk about today. Adam is a, a renowned author, journalist, and parent. His latest book is called A History of Autism, Conversations with the Pioneers. It outlines the history and development of the concept of the autistic spectrum. And his interviews with leading professionals, parents, and adults with autistic conditions reveal the controversies between the professionals and the problems that still exist for families in different countries, as well as the progress that's been made. As the administrator for the acclaimed Annual Awares International Online Autism Conference, Adam brings a unique global perspective to both parents and professionals. His research on resources on ASD are a wellspring of information for anyone involved with 2E children and their families. Adam, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you today. Thank you very and, much. And, um, of course, we absolutely love your book and, and recommend it often. And we'd like to start by asking you if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you became involved in autism, and uh, what got you interested in researching the history of autism. Yes. Well, actually, I, uh, my background is in journalism. I was a foreign journalist. I was also a linguist. Modern languages, I speak uh, seven or eight languages. I was on, it was very strange how things happened. I was on a flight to an com- international conference. I was sitting next to this very distinguished-looking man. I started playing chess with his son on the flight, and then I started began talking about our son, Johnny, who had um, stopped speaking and he was playing on his own at the playgroup at the end of the road. And I described Johnny, and the man next to me said, I know, I can tell you for sure your son has autism. Now, at that point, I didn't know what autism was. I had mm-hmm. not a clue, and I didn't believe this um, <laughs> diagnosis by distance, you know, long-distance diagnosis. He hadn't, mm-hmm. My son was not with me, and so... 
Um, I just took his business card, got back home uh, a couple of weeks later, and then, uh, sure enough, my son was diagnosed at St. George's uh, in South London uh, not long afterwards, and he was diagnosed with autism, and I just happened to look at the card, and on the card was the name Eric Fonbon, who is one of the great autism experts in the world. And uh, so he was right, it turned out. Um, That got me interested in the whole world of research. I'd met a a leading researcher. Um, Of course, as a parent, you react in different ways to the diagnosis. It's a shock, Um, especially if you have a son. son, It's normally a boy, although uh, it seems that um, girls are being underdiagnosed for various reasons, but uh, more boys than girls are diagnosed. And um, I, I wanted to uh, explore the research uh, rather than go into an you know, emotional decline, as some people do at first. Some, you know, They think, I'll never go out with a parano, I'll never take my son out to a football match, all right. the things that you're going to miss. So I started up a magazine called Looking Up. That was the first thing I did, international magazine, still going, monthly magazine which went around the world and that helped in lots of ways I, I, I learned the latest research um, findings I also learned that I wasn't alone we weren't alone as parents there are lots of other people with autism a lot of other children with autism out there at various degrees because my son started to speak and then lost his language and that regressive type is also much more common than people realize about 25 20-25% Mm-hmm. Uh, cases. And so that uh, was how I uh, got into the world of autism um, in a big way. I then started working for Autism Kungli, which is Wales's national charity for autism, as the editor of the AWARES website. And mm-hmm. uh, as you said in the introduction, um, I now run the annual uh, um, international online conference. We have 60 or more than 60 top experts taking part every year from around the world. I mean, you're talking about Lorna Wing, Simon Barakon, um, Uta Fisk, um, what, just the biggest names in the field, really, we've had. And thousands of delegates every now That's November, every November. I also, I should point out that this year I'm running a monthly series of one-day conferences. And we already had uh, Gary Mezibov, uh, director of Teach, we all, and um, uh, we, uh, next one is Carol Gray on September the 17th. Um, the website, I can give you that now, www.awares.org forward slash conferences. If you go to that, you can just register. Carol Gray is on September the 17th, Uta Fifth, October 25th, and um, Rita Jordan. Uh, well, that's is, quite a lineup. Um, November 7th, that's right. Then we have the International Conference later in November, and then Theo Peters in December, and de Klerk in December. So wonderful. And we have always enjoyed. Uh, we, we've been involved. Yes, and, and you've taken part, paper. Diane. You've taken part. Yes, I should say you've taken part, Diane, and it was very good to have you on talking about the overlaps between ADHD and autism, of which there are many, of course. This whole myth that autism, you can't have a dual diagnosis, which right. is farcical. 
Right. And, and, then, you, know and that that than, you know that better than anybody else. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. And we really just, um, we continue that research. We absolutely do. And it leads me to ask you, um, when you did research for your book, what would you say have been the biggest obstacles to ha- obstacles to helping our children get properly diagnosed? And what are your thoughts also on, on autistic spectrum disorders and DSM? From the beginning, um, the DSM and as far as autism, when it was first introduced, and also the new proposed changes for uh, ASD and the DSM-5, which, of course, have been very controversial. Of course it has. They are the big debate over those. Oh, I should say that the way I got into the book was that Dame Stephanie Shirley, or Steve as we call her, one of the richest women in, in Britain, she, uh, entrepreneur, has, has put millions and millions of her own money into autism. She had a son called Giles who died, sadly, at 35, and she uh, came to me she knew me from looking up and from awares and said, um, you know, would you like to do go around the world uh, <laughs> researching, interviewing the parents, the, the um, pioneers in the field? And I was, you know, I didn't take too long because it was a wonderful opportunity. And I didn't take too long to say yes. So um, I, I did, and she was very generous with her, you know, help, sponsorship. And I interviewed, you know, Leo Kanner's closest colleague, uh, Leon Eisenberg, I spent a lot of time, oh, I interviewed his son, who looks just like him, funnily enough. I interviewed um, Hans Asperger's daughter and Asperger's closest colleagues. Um, so I had some tremendous, uh, and Michael Rutter, and, and you know, a, lot of the top, um, a lot of the top professionals in the field. And also, even more, in some ways, even more impressive was talking to the parents, who often, often are pioneers as well. Lorna Wing, of course. Is one who I know very well. She's here in the UK, of course, and she is both a parent and a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, her daughter, her daughter Susie, sadly died as well, not That's that long right. ago. But uh, but um, they were tremendous pioneers, the parents, because they fought off the the really dire influence of uh, the Bruno Bettelheim refrigerator mother hypothesis. Parents were being blamed for, for causing their own autism, which it's absolutely ludicrous. Accusation, but it was so popular with the Freudian influence, the 50s and 60s, and Bruno Bettelheim's uh, best-selling, sadly best-selling book, The Empty Fortress, in 1967. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people like Lorna Wing, and, uh, and over in the States, um, Ruth Sullivan, and, of course, Bernie Rimblin, the late Bernie Rimblin, who set up the National, National the Autumn Society of America, became... Um, these, these, these parents did a tremendous amount of work to, to um, improve understanding of autism. But your question, as to your question about the obstacles, uh, there are sadly lots. We made a lot of progress in understanding this complex, bewildering, enigmatic condition we call autism. We should call it autisms in the plural because there are so many different manifestations across the broad spectrum. Hello. Um, the concept of the hello. Hello, how you doing? Oh, hi. Oh, I'm so sorry. We, <laughs> I, we I thought we had Rebecca calling in, and we had a different caller. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Adam. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. Continue. Um, now, what where was I? I'm just trying to. You were talking uh, about um, the dif- different experts that you were were searching. Um, oh yeah, you, that's right. And then I was talking the about the, the obstacles. The obstacles, right? So. Um, 
on, the, on your question of the, the main obstacles for an understanding of autism, which I went during my trip around the world, I went to uh, probably 100 countries, and there we've made lots of progress on understanding this, this uh, hugely complex and enigmatic condition called autism, and I think uh, we should be speaking about autisms in the plural because of the many manifestations. It's a heterogeneous condition with right. very many different, across the, a broad spectrum. It was Lorna Wing and Judy Gould who coined the term autistic spectrum in 1979, their Campbell study, and they, they were the first to show that it wasn't just this narrow, narrowly defined uh, condition, as Leo Kanna had said back in 1943, but that it had uh, very, very different um, symptoms in different people. You could have a low functioning, the classic canotype, but you could also have uh, a much more, uh, a more social, or at least a more um, active, more engaged kind, and more intelligent. You know, because Leo Kanna uh, type autism is, has low IQ, whereas the Asperger syndrome type is generally a high, and often very high IQ but with serious social and sensory issues. So that's one. Uh, uh, the understanding has, has grown with the, uh, the concept of the spectrum, but that has also led, of course, to a dilution of the, the concept, and, and this broadening um, has, in some professionals' eyes, led to confusions uh, on um, how we define what was... A, you know, a simple term in, in Canada's day in 43, a quite simple, straightforward condition to define. Um, there, there's also the problem of the stigma attached to autism in many parts of the world. That's right. very big. It's, it's quite extraordinarily strong in some parts of the world. This is sad because you, you think with the, the increase in understanding of the condition through, uh, well, through the media, through film versions, you know, starting with probably with Rain Man in 1988, uh, which in some, is a wonderful film, of course, uh, but you could argue that in some ways it's misleading because only 10% of uh, people with autism do have these savant gifts. But it did. Uh, it was the first um, film to make autism, uh, make the public aware pub uh, fully of what uh, this, this condition was and to treat it seriously. So it was an extraordinarily important film, Rain Man. And, uh, you know... Um, uh, you'd think that with the increase in coverage around the world of autism, we would understand it uh, better, and there wouldn't be a stigma. But uh, you know, I, I, in China, in, in parts of India, uh, part, lots of other parts of Asia, some of, some parts of Africa, uh, you find uh, that parents do not want to let their children out into the world. They're, they're, they're ashamed. You know, they keep mm -hmm. them hidden away. Sometimes they take them for appalling misguided treatments, pseudo-scientific treatments, which had no basis in, uh, in scientific foundation, foundation. Very dangerous, some of these. Um, you know, some parts of Africa, they take them to exorcisms. You know, right. as, if, as, if autism, as if autism is this uh, uh, evil spirit that has to be expunged. Appalling. Appalling mm -hmm. misunderstandings and misconceptions of autism, which uh, cling on to this day. Um, We've gained a lot of ground in understanding of the neurology, of the genetics uh, of autism. Um, but you know, uh, in some parts of the world, these, this, hasn't, this research hasn't reached uh, society as a whole. And so 
there is this idea that a parent should not let these children out. Yeah, I once, uh, in, I can't remember which country it was, but I, a parent came up to me and said, of an autistic child, and said, you know, we were told by other people, we moved into the area, and other people said, go away, because my child will catch autism from yours. Oh, my goodness. You know, as, as if it's an infection. That you right. You can actually catch autism. I mean, I mean, and I was stunned by that, that they, you know, I... Uh, I think this was, a, you know, this was a first world. I can't remember which country it was. It was a country I know that uh, surprised me because you would think they would have known better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, well, so there, there's some of the obstacles uh, that I came across. There are, there are many, but I, I also want to stress the advances we've made. You know, um, right. that uh, in accepting autism as part of society, and of course, there's the neurodiversity movement actually thinks it's uh, uh, autism not as a disability but as um, a, a difference. You have people like Wendy Lawson in Australia calling, uh, coining the term diffability with two right. Fs. Right. Nice word. Um, I, I mean, I have some problems uh, when we're talking about the lower end of the spectrum, you know, the, the low-functioning. and so I don't like that word, low-functioning, but I mean non-verbal. Right. Um, and some of some of these children, I clearly have a disability. I don't think you can deny that. Right. Uh, but on the higher end, you know, people like Temple Grandin are so high functioning, and they have such a contribution to make to society. And, and there are many like like Temple. There are many millions on the higher end uh, who have gifts, who have special gifts, the ability to focus, ability to see, as as Temple does. Uh, in working with her cattle, see things from in pictures, thinking in pictures, as she says. Um, she's a remarkable woman, and, and like her, there are many others who have tremendous contribution and employers above all should realize that they have a big um, asset on their hands in these people on the autistic spectrum. And they are starting to do this. And as you, as you mentioned just a moment ago when you talked about Dr. Wing and Dr. Gould introducing autism as a spectrum and the importance of that. You know, we had them uh, on our program just a few um, weeks ago, and they were very, very passionate, passionate in a very, um, in a not good way, (laughs) passionate about um, worried, extremely concerned about the changes. They they do believe autism should be viewed as a spectrum, but they're concerned about one particular change and something I wanted to ask you about and how aware you were about it, where we talk about adding, um, not only restricting, as, as we get rid of Asperger's syndrome and kind of combine everything into one thing, we're looking at these changes that are saying, um, we need to be more restrictive by looking at the restricted yep. um, repetitive behaviors, which, of course, yes. is not easy to detect. In, and not that they don't have them, but they look very different in someone who is um, – you know, at the at the high end, if you will, and and I don't like that either. Like you, I don't like low and high functioning because I think that's a misnomer. I think you can have extremely high IQ. My son has a near 150 IQ, but his functioning at yeah. times is almost. Um, you know, there was a day when I believed he wouldn't be able to leave my living room, and um, you know, yeah. people would look at me like I was crazy because he's Absolutely. his intelligence is so high. But that doesn't mean his social ability, his social anxiety, has almost crippled him. Him, but I, I am proud um, to report that he's living on his own. He's holding down two jobs. He's managing very well, uh, doing better in his relationships. And yeah. then, um, 
But it doesn't mean that he doesn't struggle. We we get so blinded. No, this is the problem. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, this no, is, this no, is the problem right. with uh, with the removal. Perhaps uh, a potential problem with the removal of Asperger's syndrome as a separate category in DSM five. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in some and I've spoken to Lorna Wing a lot about this here in, in England. And Lorna Wing was a woman who coined the term Asperger's syndrome, right? Um, and she is happy. She says. Don't worry about the label, as long as they get the services. Um, right. And, of course, she's right in some ways. She's right, and she also says it's better to, th- to think in dimensional terms about a condition like autism. Again, she's right. But the right. trouble uh, is that if you remove um, Asperger's syndrome as a separate category, you may there's a, there's a chance that some of the people may just not... They, they'll be missed, or they won't get the services that we want for them. Um, I've spoken to other people on the DSM-5 committee, and they say that won't happen because right. uh, be, it will be clearly defined. You know, the, decision, the, 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 the condition that we now know as Asperger's syndrome will be called something else, but it will be class, classified under the, you know, the autistic umbrella and clearly defined so that the, uh, the professionals will know and the care providers will know uh, exactly what services... Uh, are required, but I'm not sure because we now have this condition called Asperger's syndrome. People do understand what that means. They do understand if they're good professionals that, despite uh, this person having a high IQ, as you say, they have serious social problems. That's serious right. social problems with change of routine. They can they can talk for hours. They may talk at you rather than to you sometimes about their favourite right. obsession. Right. Next obsession. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, and with incredibly high intelligence, I mean, they can talk about U.S. presidents or dinosaurs. Dinosaurs is a remarkably common interest. Uh-huh. Uh, that's something that fascinates me, why prehistoric uh, animals <laughs> have been such an, a, an obsession with Asperger's, but it's true. But at the same time, as this very high intelligence comes through, they also, if you change their routine, they can, they can have incredible tantrums, that's wild right. tantrums, you know. Uh, and also sensory of, problems. Which is one of the things, you know, just mm-hmm. on that note for one second, but I do want to get back to the DSM, but on that note, that's where we run into such a problem when we are attaching the label of ADHD because ADHD is so tied to behavior issues, so we're not understanding that behavior is communication. That's an important point we made on a on a chat we had uh, just last week on Twitter about uh, with several educators that behavior is communication. And so if we look at this, like these outbursts could be as ADHD tends to attach them, especially when we look at oppositional defiant disorder, we're looking at, um, you know, basically basically uh, insinuating that the child is being willful on purpose. And, of course, we know in the case of of an Asperger child who's got social anxiety or having a meltdown due to a lack of being able to express themselves, even if they do have good verbal skills, they may not have good social communication skills. Therefore, extremely misunderstood. And, and we think well, I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more exactly. Um, let's hope that on the DSM five. I mean, I think you know a, a lot of things that they're going to do are very positive. I have to say, uh, I have to say something. You know, uh, but uh, let's turn to sensory issues, for instance. It, I think it's very encouraging, including sensory differences. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I we could uh, more. because that's such 
Yeah, and that's very, very important. Uh, but there is, um, again, a, a worry that if they make sensory differences a criterion of autism, that is going to lead to false positives because not 100% of people with autism have sensory differences. A huge right. majority do, but not everybody right. does. So they're going to uh, actually uh, uh, diagnose autism perhaps in some people who don't have it because they, they may have some other condition uh, because right. there are other conditions with, with, with these sensory differences and dis uh, I was going to say abnormalities. I don't like that word. I think differences are the best word. Right. You know, hypo-sensitivity. Hypo I, I always remember my son, Johnny, used to uh, hold an ice lolly. That's what we called it in London. By the, um, by, the, by the lolly end, not the stick. Oh. Now, that's a very cold. And I, I, I mean, that's almost impossible to do. If it is, right. it is impossible to do, I tried it. I tried it when he was doing it, but he would do it for ages. He preferred to hold it by that end. Um, so he was hyposensitive to certain things. Um, and then he was, of course, very sensitive to the kind of echoing sound that you get in swimming pools, but not uh, at all sensitive to uh, the sound of a vacuum cleaner, hoover. He would sit on the hoover while it was blaring, blasting out. So, you know, okay. different kind of sound, so, which is fascinating, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he's very visual, my son. So he's got a very visual sense, uh, very acute. Uh, they've done s several studies. I mean, Simon Bankine and his colleagues in Cambridge here in the UK have done studies about visual acuity, and they've found, and I think other studies from elsewhere have also shown, that you know, a lot of people with autism have, have extraordinary, uh, a vis extraordinary visual acuity. I remember once uh, my son, uh, Johnny, Johnny, came up to um, the computer and he pointed to a picture I was looking at, and he pointed to a tiny dot. I couldn't see what he was pointing. I blew the picture up, and it turned out it was an ice cream. Uh -huh. So somehow, um, his motivation for things like ice cream and food is his, one of his huge motivations uh, uh -huh. led him to, have, to be able to recognize an ice cream which was microscopic. It couldn't be seen by, unless he'd seen, he guessed by the context, but of course, uh, that's not something that <laughs> autism autistic people are traditionally are very good at the context they're good at seeing the, the detail rather than the context so I suspect right. that he actually made out he made out this ice cream as a tiny dot and, and knew what it was so um, sensory issues I'm so glad that they've got it in as an important aspect of autism I just have this one concern that it isn't used as, as a, a definite criterion for the condition Right. Well, and that's the problem. That, right. And and that's what Dr. Wing and Dr. Gould talked about was making anything too exclusive or inclusive. And and the one issue that I wanted to go back to was something that they, like I said, were very concerned about was adding this idea of adding a new category of social communication disorder. I mean, their words were right. preposterous. <laughs> that autism well, that's is a social it's, it's communication. A that's right. I try, and I agree with them. They were the ones who coined, again, not only the autistic spectrum, but of course the triad of impairments. The famous, the same, in that same study, same Camberwell study, they introduced the autistic spectrum, a Judy Gould, a Lord of Wing, a Judy Gould, and these, this triad of impairment of uh, social uh, impairment, language impairment, and then repetitive and uh, restrictive interest. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the, the talk is that DSM-5 will reduce the triad to a dyad. 
Right. And you'll have this so- social communication. And again, yes, you, you produce this new category, which I think just doesn't uh, re- I relate to the, uh, the reality of uh, what we're seeing in a lot of cases. I just I have serious misgivings about that issue. Well, it's not something still that dis- you can... I know they're discussing this still. You can't um, sort it out. They've still, got, the still got another. I mean, yeah. I mean, sorry. No. Yes. You you yeah. can't sort out. I mean, she said that's like taking the heart and soul out of autism. Doctor Wing said that <laughs> that you know social communication is they feel very strongly in different degrees of impairment, of course, and different degrees of cognitive functioning. Social communication is at the heart and soul of what autism is. So it it's just silly and ludicrous to think that you could have another disorder and have any way of defining that as a separate entity that only belongs to social communication and not to autism. I totally agree with them on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's hope they backtrack. Let's hope they backtrack the committee. Let's hope they're listening to Dr. Wing. Yes, Dr. Gould. Let's hope so, and maybe maybe to me as well. I I I do know quite a few of the people on the committee. Uh, they're very bright people, and they are still uh, looking at this and, you know, uh, discussing it. I think it's due out in May next year, in theory. Well, they're certainly a few, in a tough a spot. No, you're right, Adam, and, you know, they are they are in a tough spot. And, you know, as the criticism uh, becomes, it is really criticism of a community consensus, but yet the individual committee members tend to take the most heat. You are right about that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they've got time. They could, they can, they can, they can change certain things, or they can clarify what they're doing. I, I don't know. I think, I think it's clear that Asperger's syndrome will be removed. I don't think they're going to backtrack on that one. Uh, on the sensory issues, we don't know whether uh, yet whether it's going to they're going to be made a definite criterion. You know, where mm-hmm. you have to have them to be diagnosed. I really hope that's not the case because that would that would be very misleading and, and misguided. So I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but we'll see. Again, we'll have to see. And on the triad to the dyad, I, I certainly hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but again, let's 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 see. <laughs> right. See we'll we'll hold out that, hope, yeah. and we'll all continue to yeah. to hopefully share that information, and um, yeah. and hopefully put some pressure on the fact that. Some of these changes could be quite concerning. Well, one thing I'd like to get back to, and we talked briefly about Temple Grandin and, and about her um, wonderful gifts that she's that she's had. And as everyone knows, Temple did. Uh, she was nonverbal, and and you know she had many years of struggling, which her movie portrays very well. If our listeners yeah. haven't seen her movie. Um, I would recommend it highly, of course. It just really gives a different view of, of autism from the inside out. And uh, Temple's been very passionate as she worked with us on Bright Not Broken about sharing information between the gifted world and the disability world, specifically autism. And my question to you is, as you look at things globally, um, you know, we sort of tried to introduce the term um, to those that haven't heard it, twice exceptional, and that involves having a disability and also having extremely, you know, rare gifts that um, that can put you in the gifted realm, is that, is, how is twice exceptional being received around the world? People with autism and gifts, how would you view, are they being um, misunderstood? Is it is it a growing concept? What would you say that is? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. It depends on the country. Um, well, of course, you do, but going back to, I mean, Rain Man was the first, you could argue, was the first film that, that did show someone with severe disability, socially, mm-hmm. uh, as Dustin Hoffman's character, uh, Raymond Pabbitt, shows. He can't, he can't get on in a normal way, he can't relate to human beings in a normal way, but he has this, these extraordinary gifts which get him thrown out of a casino and uh, mathematical gifts that uh, be able to calculate matchsticks. But of course, there are other gifts. There are people like Stephen Wiltshire, the wonderful British right. uh, autistic painter. There are, and of course, my, friend, my great friend, Dowd Trefford, over on your side of the pond, your side of the Atlantic, has done tremendous work to, uh, to show the world uh, what gifts these very low-functioning, people in terms of social being able to relate socially uh, what tremendous gifts they some of these people have uh in uh, music i think you matt savage and uh well she's just one there are many that uh, daryl has highlighted artists tremendous artists so i do think there's a lot of awareness uh in the first world about these um about these people again. In the when you if you go to the third world, and I went to a lot of the developing and under underdeveloped nations, there is still a, a mystique which is misleading about that. There's something there's actually a, a kind of suspicion about some of these pe- uh, children that these gifts uh, are not natural, mm-hmm. for instance. And so there's some again stigma uh, attached. Because they think, where well, earth did these weird gifts come from? These strange children that aren't uh, behaving in, in, in a normal human way, in quotes, you know. And they and so and there is one of the, a, a lack of underst- lack of understanding of this twice exceptional case right. that they can be, they can have these problems at the same time, have these gifts, and they don't, they're not able to see that the same human being can have have both both sides of them. It is one quite a sophisticated the, idea. One of the experts we had on from the gifted world, we we call her the um, Dr. Wing um, of the gifted world. Her name is Dr. Linda Silverman. She runs the Gifted Development Center in Denver, Colorado, and uh, she's been researching for years. And she talks about asynchronous development, and that wasn't a term we were familiar with, but it makes perfect sense. She talks about um, asynchronous as an uneven mix of skills and deficits. And that that seems to really um, to really hit the hit the nail on the head as far as what we're describing because she also says the more extreme you get with a deficit or with um, with a gift the the more challenges that individual can face and certainly the more um, suspicion I think that society can have because you're right they say well and it's sort of like my son has heard and, and other children like him, that, you know, how can you be so smart but yet so challenged over here so they don't believe their challenges are real because, again, it goes back to the we see your IQ so you should be able to do anything, as if gifted people are perfectly round. <laughs> well, exactly. But exactly. that's, that's gifted, of course gifted, I mean, gifted people with and without autism are pretty, uh, they can be, tend to be, have problems, <laughs> That's right. Or other problems. Uh, the, the, uh, it's very hard to find. You could argue it's very hard to find any gifted person who's perfectly balanced. Uh, you, you, I mean, it's a, that's a controversial statement, but in fact, you know, because the, uh, they tend to focus in one area. 
and well into they, they, they can ignore others they can ignore others and so this does lead to eccentric behavior um, sometimes and sometimes in the past of course these people tended to be institutionalized thank goodness we've moved away from that you know? absolutely uh, yeah and now we're employing them there are, there are, there are companies who are specifically employing people with Asperger's syndrome you know Specialisten is the one the Danish one that started in Denmark now got now got um, branches here over here in Glasgow and Scotland and various other parts of the world. They're actually only employing uh, people on the spectrum. That's um, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. That is progress. That certainly is. Well, it, it absolutely is. You have to you have to applaud them. You know, stand up and clap your hands to the that was uh, uh, the, the inventor of that uh, or the founder of that organization was a Dane called Thorkozana. He's done tremendous work. And, um, you know, so we are moving in the right way, understanding that these people, a lot of people on the autistic spectrum have tremendous gifts, a tremendous ability to focus. You know, if your laptop breaks, take it to someone with Asperger's syndrome. <laughs> I recommend this highly. Because they will fix it without any fuss, you know, very fast. Um, and, you know, they will do it very quickly. They're brilliant. I, they're brilliant at IT. So many people on the spectrum, on the high, on the Asperger's end of the spectrum, um, they just uh, they're extraordinary at uh, gifts at, at the computing, mathematics. A lot of mathematicians tend to be either on the spectrum or have a lot of autistic traits, um, and that's you know they're great mathematicians. This isn't it's not an insult anymore, as it used to be seen in the in the old days, the bad old days. That's right. And, well, and you mentioned that the the multiple gifts sometimes can be in the arts, and they might not be academic. And we point that out a lot, as well as Howard Gardner. We talk about the multiple intelligences. I don't know if you're familiar with with Howard Gardner's work. He's um, yes, in, indeed. And and you know this yeah. this overlays so much into understanding how yes you can have like you mentioned um, with uh, you know being an artist or a musician that sometimes that's where the the extreme gift lies and we need to appreciate those gifts and as Temple says develop our talents and those talents can can turn into um, a sustainable job for these individuals and sometimes yes. in the in the case of herself you know end up changing the world as she has in animal science so it's it's That's encouraging right. she, always, she always temple yeah temple always says it's what she says again and again she's, i spent two days with her last year over here in, in, oh, in, in the uk and um Again, she repeated the, the, the idea that, you know, the, the great inventions of the world were, were not uh, made by people sitting around chattering in the cave mountain, out of caves. Right. You know, they were those who got, <laughs> uh, you know, the social people were, were too busy uh, chattering and talking to, talking to each other to get on with uh, the great inventions. Um, that's right. That's his, that's, you know, and, uh, you know, there's something in that. There's something in that. Um uh, and certainly done remarkable and, and uh, achievements. And actually, I've noticed over the years I've known Temple that she's gained a lot of so, uh, sense of humor. It's very sophisticated at times, although <laughs> she describes it as juvenile sometimes. Right. The last, uh, uh, but I remember she, um, I, um, I took her around um, 
By the way, there's an interview in the latest issue of my of my magazine, Looking Up. There's a, a big interview I did with 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 Temple Grandin, and um, and at one point I uh, I showing around Cardiff, the capital of Wales. There was a statue of Anari Bevin, who was the founder of the National Health Service here in the UK, mm-hmm. and it was <laughs> covered in bird droppings. Oh and, no! And Temple, Temple turned to me and said, "That's fame for you." <laughs> you know, that's what that's what fame does for you. <laughs> Wonderful comment. That sounds like Temple. I, I, mean, I, I thought that was brilliant. Brilliant. That's... Very sophisticated uh, sense of humour she's got. Yeah. Even though she doesn't think so herself, I think she thinks she's it's juvenile. It's not, you know. Right. Um, no. And so, right, so she's adapted socially. That's another thing I'd like to point out about autism. You know, they have, a lot of people with autism have a sense of humour. And not only that, a lot of people with non-verbal people with autism have a great sense of humor. My, my son is non-verbal, Tommy, and he has a tremendous sense of mischief. And you can relate to him. You can laugh with him. You know, he makes you laugh at certain things he does. And he's mischievous and, and a, a bit of a, an imp, often. And um, so... It's a, qua- it's uh, a quality you know, That's something that, that has to be pointed out. Yeah, there are lots right. of aspects of autism which really are, are underestimated. Um, underestimated or just ignored. I just they don't realise that uh, people with autism have these uh, can have tremendous layers of, and, uh, and they can understand you as well much more, even though they're non-verbal. That's right. Only understand right. understand a lot more. Obviously, can't speak at all, but uh, he, he's certainly his uh, receptive language is is very good. You know. Absolutely. So so. We, <laughs> Uh, there's so much more that needs to be done. Uh, it's a fascinating condition, autism, because it is, as I said before, so many different autisms. Uh, you know, some people have gone f- as far as to say that there's no such thing as a pure autism. People like Christopher Gilberg in Sweden mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. say that say that almost every every kind of every person with autism, he says, almost uh, has some underlying or some. Uh, uh, medical condition or psychiatric condition attached to that autism. He's not. He's very rarely found uh, any kind of autism which is pure, as you'd say. And I think he goes. I think he probably goes too far in that to say that everything, everyone is attached, has another uh, comorb, comorbid, you know, comorbidity. I, I think that's going too far. Right. But, I don't know, uh, and I, and I think. I think that's something that, as we shake out, I think it's been one of the questions of the DSM is this idea of you know there are no natural boundaries, um, you know, with the with the lines that we've drawn, and so that's what piles everything onto comor you know comorbid labels. But um, we have yeah. to be careful with that because really we're describing impairments and I think, you know, it it is I mean in both of us, Rebecca and I both feel it really depends on how you best understand what those impairments are. And as we were talking earlier about behavior, when we compare, you know, an outburst, we have to understand the impairment that's driving the outburst. Is it communication? Is it an inability to express yourself? And autism does a beautiful job of that without this kind of quick um, you know, this is a willful child acting out against authority. We just really, really speak out against that. And ADHD has done an awful job, I must say, of of labeling that too quickly. 
And we yeah. have to be careful. Not that there are not children with behavior issues that certainly need to be dealt with, but we've got to be careful because when we t- start attaching that too often, especially in autism, by not understanding, you know, where that meltdown originated from, we've got to be yeah, careful. Absolutely right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah. Well, Adam, absolutely. you are you are a wellspring yeah. of information. Your conferences. <laughs> Just um, you know, across the globe, they are, I would say, by far one of the best international resources that we have. And I would encourage all of our listeners to um, to find you on the web and to tune in um, this yeah. year as well to Aware's dot org. So the date is this year for the international conference. I should say is, is November the nineteenth to the twenty third this year, two thousand and twelve. Uh, for the annual international conference with more than 60 experts taking part. A unique uh, opportunity for delegates just to register and then put their questions directly to any of these experts. They All all the experts uh, present a paper, which, which delegates can read beforehand, and then they can just put their questions to any of these experts. I'll give you the, the URL again, which is www.awares.org forward slash conferences. I also give you don't mind the the, uh, the website of my of my magazine looking up, uh-huh. which is org. Um and I, I'm hoping to see as many of your listeners or you know, online uh, in November or or even earlier in September the 17th. Carol Gray, the inventor of the social stories, will be online. Right. Was Uta Frith in um, in October, Uta Jordan in November, and Theo Peters and Hilda Turk in, in December. So, tremendous lineup of uh, you know, people who understand autism and uh, from the in, almost from the inside because they know autism so well. Uh, and that's a point, uh, point I think, an important point as well that um, we've learned a lot more about autism from people with the condition. You're able to write about it, not just Temple Grandin, but I'm thinking about Donna Williams in Australia, uh-huh. Wendy Lawson in Australia, Jim yes. uh, Sinclair. I mean, lots of people who've written tremendous memoirs about what it's like uh, are able That's to right. describe uh, uh, Claire Sainsbury. I mean, there are lots and lots of examples I could give. Um, and so the people I've, um, I also have had Donna Williams on. Uh, and as one of my guest, um, participants in the conference, and Wendy Lawson, so and they've you know led to a deeper understanding, uh, profound understanding uh, that you know that uh, autism can be understood bit by bit. We're getting closer. That's right. That's right. And, and you have wonderful resources, and you're right. Um, you know, with with this information that that crosses all of our uh, global boundaries here, which is wonderful if we can share the information on a global platform and we certainly think of you of of you know one of our best um global resources available out there and I, a question I did have for you because as I'm yeah, sure. thinking uh, we'll share with our listeners as well as um on the Coffee Clatch, Marianne Russo does just a wonderful, wonderful job on the network here, and of course that's what the BMB Radio Show is on. We have um, we have a big following on Twitter, and we do a lot of uh, chat programs. So we will be uh, broadcasting this information and these resources. We'll post it on Twitter. And my question was, um, uh, is Aware's on Twitter? Are you on Twitter yet? Have you 
Found the Twitterverse. Oh, <laughs> yes, but Autism Cymru is. Autism Cymru is my organization, and I am personally. Okay. So, um, yes. Well, so you'll have to the tweet us. Yes, that, tweet us at yes, Bright Not Broken, and then we'll we'll share the information on Twitter. Brilliant. Well, that's fantastic. I'll certainly do that. You see, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, world. Um, the world's not so big after all. That's right. <laughs> maybe, that's maybe right. Then. Yeah. And uh, you know these things. Uh, these things help people on the spectrum as well. Yes, uh, they do. Yes, they do. And uh, we and it's so, are. So good. Well, I was going to say so our. Our... It's mean, so good to see uh, you know people communicating and meeting yeah. up online, and then some, and then sometimes getting together. You know, in, in the best possible in, in groups, in social groups. You know, and uh, absolutely. You know, I have to say, Adam, you know, we uh, well, we have been busy after writing the book and speaking and, and trying to keep up. And, of course, we, we had Facebook. And for the longest time, we really fought the urge of the Twitterverse. I guess it was a um, an unfounded fear, I think, because once we got there, we found it just to be a wonderful uh, resource to share information. And, and I have to say that our followers, uh, who have been just really increasing in numbers, they reach across the globe. We have a lot of followers, a lot of really loyal um, fans and listeners in um, in the UK, and I know they were excited. They were tweeting about your program here, so I know they know who you are, and and we're excited to be right. connected as well. well we thank you so much for coming on today, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, and uh, we'll look forward to awares.org and, and maybe having you back in the future again. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. Thank you. You have a wonderful evening. You too. You too. Good night. Good night. Good night.